2: Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And today's episode, I'm joined by Stephen Ansell of Blood Red Shoes. Um, I've met Stephen before. He recorded the Hardcore Listing Podcast, I do with Chris Glasson. And uh, I've not seen him for a few years, so um, it was lovely to, to catch up and, and talk about what he's been up to and talk about, obviously, how he's, how he's found being a musician in, in, the, in the current climate. And uh, and all the other usual chit-chat about um, fantastic records and creative journeys. And um, just quickly, before we get on to that episode, uh, a thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. If you've not gone over there, go and have a look. Because um, I imagine most of you have stumbled across this podcast because of uh, Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces podcast. Um, but there's loads of wonderful podcasts over there, so go and have a, a look over there. And and also, if you enjoy this episode, um, and it's the first time you've listened to Off the Beaten track, um, then when you finish listening to my chat with Steve, then um, go and have a look in the, the archives of this podcast, because there's about 180 episodes now with some of your favourite musicians, actors, DJs, producers, um, comedians did I say comedians comedians as well um, there's loads of wonderful stuff to be listened to and uh, and it's all for free which is good um, but all I do ask is if you can subscribe or leave a little comment or if you see us on the socials give us a like love share retweet or any of that stuff it all helps because this is a, a pure labour of love so any kind of you know, help getting the word out there is really, really appreciated. Um, and also, um, if you do really like that and you, you, you want more content, then I do also have a Patreon page. You can support the podcast there as well. Um, from as little as a dollar a month, um, yeah, I put up four radio shows a week, video episodes, exclusive episodes. There's loads of stuff going on over there. So, um, yeah, like I say, you can go and support the podcast there. You can find out about all of this stuff at and track podcast.com beat and track not beaten um dot com right uh let's get back to business please enjoy today's wonderful episode um with the smashing fella that is steven ansell of blood red shoes it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network keep me stew with him Right, we are recording. Sitting opposite me today, Stephen Ansel Hello. Hi. Um. So we've we've met before, Steve. You come and um, guested on the the Hardcore Listening podcast probably two years ago. Now I imagine that was. It's quite it a while ago. Wow.
3: Yeah, this has uh, been a. Like time doesn't make any sense to me this year.
2: Oh, it's bonkers. I mean, we're recording this um, the a couple of days after. Uh, Boris has told us that we're we 're going back into a full lockdown for another month, so uh, if if yep. uh, if we if 're sounding pissed off and this, this comes out in a month or so's time that 's why uh, uh, but yeah so how have you how have you found the last the last seven months Steve, as as uh, you know, uh, personally and professionally
3: okay I mean those two things are basically the same for me um, I always joke like uh, my personality is like ninety five percent the music that I do and there's 5% left for everything else. So personal life, professional life, it's all the same thing to me. It's all like, all I care about and all I do is music. So it's been a very bananas year, but actually, um, I've found it weirdly. I've actually found it, found a lot of positives in it. Um, and I think one of the things from talking to other friends who are musicians that I've realized is if you're a full-time musician like we are, and you're used to touring a lot and the rest of it, complete uncertainty and chaos and, <laughs> and random changes are like normal. Like we've yeah. never, as a musician, a full-time musician, we've never had structure. We've never had financial security uncertainty. We've never had uh, like set hours that we do in a thing. And we also have to be really self-motivated and sort of disciplined in yourself to get anything done because there isn't like an office environment or any other sort of formal structure around you to get you to do things so weirdly a lot of my friends who are also musicians have found that adapting this year has has actually been really painless compared to people who are used to nine to five or have a set structure and suddenly that's gone for them it's a huge change for us it's not actually financially super daunting and mental but on a sort of emotional level day-to-day we, a lot of musicians are speaking to like, hey on, we, we got this, like for once, yeah. <laughs> for once. It's like, we're telling the rest of the world, like, welcome to our life, man. It's like yeah. all the time. Um, obviously, except that we can't play. So, um, for How's me, I've, what I found was that the energy that usually comes out on a stage has kind of gone back in on itself and just been writing constantly. Um, both with my band and with other other friends over like sending uh, music back and forth on email with friends in other countries just found it's a bit like, uh, for me, creativity is like whack-a-mole. You smash it down somewhere. It pops up somewhere else always. Yeah. So yeah, it just sort of finds a way. So that's how I've done it. I think that's how I've kept myself sane is yeah. make sure I'm doing something, making something, um, I don't know how long that will last before we all go mental, yeah what's so good is how I've been thinking of it. <laughs> that's good, then. That's good. Can-
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads
1: and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right?
2: Okay, let's start, um, let's start the track list. Um, for track one, Steve, song with the greatest ever intro.
3: Right. Sorry, just closing my window because my neighbours are noisy. Um, my favourite intro, is I, I find these things really hard because I like too much stuff. They're, they're meant to be hard, mate. Um, <laughs> so what I've gone for in this is um, Seth DeLisa, a song called Human, um, which I think a lot of people would have heard because it shows up in loads of TV shows and movies but I don't know if many people know that it's her. She's a Dutch-Iranian singer. The song's got, like, millions and millions of streams. It's called Human, but it opens with, like, 20 seconds of totally weird, like, it starts with a glitchy version of her vocal, which you're like, what's happening? It's really confusing. Then it really quickly clicks to the sound uh, of, like, a lift, like, landing, and the door's opening. Then you get some really weird, like, creepy-sounding elevator music, And then the song starts and the whole intro just sets you off in this really weird, slightly uncomfortable, like, you know how, like a David Lynch movie?
2: Yeah.
3: It's just this general sense of like, something's really wrong here. And you don't know exactly how it is, but it makes you feel kind of ill at ease.
2: Yeah.
3: It does that in 20 seconds before the song even begins. And the song's unconnected to the bit that happens at the start, but it just starts you off in this really weird mindset. It's great, it's like they've emotionally manipulated you as the listener.
2: Oh I just I'm also interested to to ask you, um, Steve, in regards to um if, if we use Red shoes as an example, um mm. from when you first um you know appeared on the on the radar of the music scene, uh I, I imagine that the was that kind of MySpace? Was that happening then? It was MySpace. It was yeah. all that. And so that was maybe, I guess, you know, the the, the beginnings of social media and, and the beginnings of maybe streaming and, and, and things like that. And so I'm just – I'm interested in how you approach songwriting now mm. and, those, and, and how you've evolved that and changed that into the – way you know, uh, as, as people change the way that they listen to music. Uh, and, and also attention on that question being based around the intro. Yeah. And, and but, how people – and, and how radio and things now are so tuned into straight with a chorus, no fat on the bones. You know, I just want to know how uh, uh, you yeah. know, how, how you've yeah. approached it over the years.
3: It's funny because we never, I mean, we never thought about that, but we always, on what, like, we've always had this element that we've considered ourselves a pop band because we've always, like, We like writing hooks. We like writing choruses. We like things to have an immediacy that people can grab onto it very quickly. And actually, that just sort of came out in us and we embraced that side. And actually, uh, in the modern, like in the streaming environment, that works really well. Like, it's no surprise to me that our song Boring by the Sea is the most streamed thing on our Spotify by like a huge margin. And it opens with a really immediate infectious riff that like you hear it once and you got, you know what the song is. And I think about it a lot on Spotify because I produce other artists and I'm, I bring it up with them. I'm like, make your intro really snappy, make it short and make it have something, you know, if you want to play that game, make it something where you almost convey the personality of the song in the first 10 seconds Yeah, because people won't skip it then and they'll get what you're about. And actually in retrospect, it made me realize we accidentally did that on a couple of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> we actually haven't had to change anything because by complete fluke, we've done that on quite a few. If I think of our first record, I wish there was someone better, goes straight in with like a, the fastest drum beat I could play at the time. And it's just like, boom, yeah. boom, It. Boring by the Sea does that. What's the other like big streams ones on our um, Spotify? I'm pretty sure all of the top five, the intro is just like, here you go. There's like, there's no way. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny. Like, some of our newer stuff takes more time to get going and it's not in the top five. <laughs> All right, well, let's,
2: let's go way back for track two. Um, Steve, so the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you?
3: This one was very easy. Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. Okay, tell me more. So, I like, grew up in a big music household. Like, nobody played instruments, but music was on a lot rock and roll music usually played far too loud primarily by my dad um, huge Bruce Springsteen fan and as like a really young kid born in the USA it's just got that really like sort of rousing anthemic thing but it's got that the way he sings it it's not that sort of laddie, boisterous football anthem it's emotional it's got a kind of bluesy undercurrent to his style of singing like he sounds a little bit like he's in pain it's got that mm-hmm. and a tug on the heartstrings and even as a kid, I remember that was really like affected me even when I was like five or six. And I used to just sing it all the time. Um, and that's probably what got me into being in a band, to be honest.
2: I mean, there's a monster snare sound on that record,
3: right? <laughs> the classic 80s, like, cocaine snare drum. <laughs> more treble, more reverb, let's go. <laughs> it's like...
2: <laughs> and, and and I guess like most, I mean, I don't know if it was the case for you, but I know, you know, I was, I was probably like ten or eleven when that record uh, come out, and I remember just thinking it was the most because obviously at, at that point in the eighties for me, you know. I was loving Goonies and, and all the American culture that was yeah. coming over. And I just thought this was the soundtrack to it about how amazing America is and how I wish I was yeah. born in the USA. And fucking hell, I got that wrong. <laughs> I mean, I
3: definitely, the meaning was lost to me as a five-year-old, definitely. Uh, probably well into my teens, in fact, <laughs> before yeah. I understood it. But yeah, which only adds to how brilliant the song is. Yeah, Because they made something that's emotional and anthemic and, and can like fill a stadium, but actually made a point with it which is very cool.
2: Like, what, what was the emotion you got, Steve?
3: I think it it was like a, there is like this tinge of sadness to it, I think. But it's got this sort of, what's the word? It's like it's collective sadness. There's a group sort of oneness to the sound of it that makes you feel like you're with other people. And there's a like a yearning, like a sense of yearning from it, Yeah, I would say. I've always really liked that in things like that, that there's there's a type of kind of stadium music, which isn't, um, which manages to sort of have some sort of meaning and isn't just, yeah, stadium bullshit. It's actually got like an emotional component. Um, And I quite like that. I like the idea that it's a thing that lots of people can connect to at once. I think that's a really cool thing in music.
2: Um, Well, we need that more than ever right now.
3: Yeah, right, So we can't go and experience it.
2: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, um, the boss is playing at home. Where was home? Where did you grow up, Steve?
3: Uh, I grew up in Horsham in Sussex, West Sussex. So I've moved to Brighton, which is about 15 miles away, so I haven't gone very far. How was growing up there? Um, Like, well, I was very lucky to have, like, a very good family life Um, and, like, you know, nice school and all that sort of thing. But... I was a really weird kid. Like, okay. I started wearing makeup, growing my hair, didn't fit in. So I actually, from my early teens until I basically got the fuck out and came to Brighton, I got bullies, heavily, a lot, to the point where I got, I ended up in hospital at times. Um, so it's weird because my family, super fucking cool, into rock and roll, didn't even bat an eyelid when I wanted to graffiti all of the walls of my room and start wearing makeup um, and playing rock bands. But, that sort of small town Sussex thing, people just, I just got punched all the time, (laughs) Um, which I still think I can hear. I think that, that misfit element is in the music that I make with Laura. And I think she had a similar thing where she didn't quite fit in like that. And I think that will always be in our music and also notice in our fans, our really dedicated fans. I can tell in them too. It's like we've attracted people that had a similar sort of misfit background. And I like that. We've made like a little community almost.
2: The misfits always turn out to be the best ones.
3: Yeah, man, you're telling me David Bowie was, like, a regular kid, No that? way, man.
2: No <laughs> way. <laughs> you know I mean? Obviously, I'm
3: nowhere near on his level, but, like, you know it. For the musicians you love, you're like, you were dead weird in school. <laughs> Definitely.
2: Definitely. Um, well, whilst we're talking school for track three, um, what is the song that reminds you of your time at school, Steve?
3: Uh, it's Song 2 by Blur. Oh, OK. It's just, when I was, like, that age, I guess, like... Fifteen, sixteen and everyone like everyone was doing a band because Britpop was huge. And it was just the song that everyone wanted to play because you just go nuts and you're doing your first like getting drunk in the park with your mates. And it's just the big tune you can put on and everyone's like, yeah, it just gets you riled up. Um yeah, I just and I remember like every band in school was trying to learn it. Mm. And I'd got my first guitar and I was trying to work out the chords. But it's in like a weird tuning or something, so I really couldn't figure it out. And it really bugged me for like six months. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, did you and, pick up guitar first, then. <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah. Actually, I actually, you can do rock instruments in my very boring sort of, you know, south southeast England school. So I started with piano because um, you could have piano lessons, which I quickly got really bored of, and hassled my parents into getting me an acoustic guitar. So then I started playing guitar, and it wasn't until I met Laura that I learned drums. Um, oh, okay. I feel like I was gradually just finding my way to an instrument that suited me the best. And I'm definitely the personality type of a drummer uh, because I like to do everything way too fast and loud. (laughs) And it's it's so physical compared to other instruments. It's almost like a sport. And that really fits with my sort of psyche for some reason. So I played a few things, not very well until I got to drums. Then I was like, ah, this is me.
2: So, I mean, obviously you touched on it a moment ago that, um, you yeah, know, there was bullying and stuff. Was that throughout school?
3: Yeah, it wasn't loads in school. It was – I mean, it did happen in school as well. Um, but it was more outside of school, just like, yeah, when you start to hang out with your friends and you go to the park and you first – like, that kid that gets facial hair weirdly too early can buy beer and going, like, hanging out and just, like – even in the group I was in, which was kids who were into like indie rock and metal and stuff, I was still the easy target because I looked the weirdest and I was only little, so I was an easy person to punch. So it was, yeah, it was a bit in school, it was a bit out of school. It just generally, the thing I found was it had the reverse effect on me. It didn't push me to fit in or change. It made me basically think fuck you, I'm going to be a rock star. (laughs) And actually, weirdly, there was a lot of positive in it, and it reinforced my sense of identity, reinforced what I wanted to do, and that I wasn't like these people um, in this little town. Um, So weirdly, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't recommend it either. But
2: (laughs) I mean, you know, it almost felt like you was was kind of half-joking when you said, fuck you, I want to be a rock star. But um, at school, did you know what you wanted to be?
3: Yeah. Uh, from listening to Bruce Springsteen as a toddler, I think by the time I was about seven or eight, I thought the coolest thing in the world was a dude in a leather jacket with a pair of jeans and a Telecaster. And that, and that was that. That was it. Yeah. That was like... still is as well, was not it? <laughs> I still see it and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that I ever left, really. I think from even that young, I think all I've really cared about was being in the rock bands. I never went. I don't remember ever deciding. I remember it just being there. And it it wasn't like an option or it wasn't like a, oh, maybe I'll do this. It was just, to me, it was obvious. Still is obvious. Never went. And if anything, any other forces outside that tried to <laughs> punish me for that just made me go, fuck off, I'm doing this. So were you confident then? No, that came with time. I was quite, I was, I was a lot <laughs> compared to now. I was a lot quieter and a lot more like mm. shy about it. But I think gradually it grew and I got more certain, which I think you just do as you get a bit older. And Definitely. Place. Well, about- and I moved to Brighton, which is literally where you go if you don't fit in anywhere else in England. That's, that's, the entire town is misfits. So you come here and you're like, ah, oh, this is my tribe. Yeah. And then everyone feels the same way. And everybody doesn't want to live a nine to five life. And everybody wants to be an artist and... That really it pushes you further down the path, you know.
2: How did that feel when you got there?
3: Well, I've lived here nearly twenty years, <laughs> so I got here and I haven't left. Which I think yeah. is all you need to know, really. Yeah, it's just it's home. It never gets any less weird. If it got less weird, I might leave, but it doesn't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, track four. The first song you remember buying from a record shop?
3: Uh, that was Bad by Michael Jackson on okay. Um I've, I wrote a few notes here because a few things I had to remember. And actually, it was quite fun remembering this. Cassette from Our Price. Do you remember Our Price? Of course. Right. So that was the only record shop in Horsham. So what I can't remember is how come I had any money at that age. But I must have done like some wash my granddad's car or something. Or... <laughs> yeah. But um or maybe just because my parents were into music, they wanted to encourage it and gave me a few quid. Uh, so I went and got the cassette and I used to put it on and shut the living room door and dance around. And I later found out that my two sisters used to sneak the door open a little bit and watch me and giggle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. I mean, obviously, when when you're doing retrospective looks back around, you know, with people's lives and and the importance of them kind of early bands and and pop stars, Michael Jackson comes up a hell of a lot on this podcast. And I just wondered. um, Because I always ask guests this and when people mention Jackson, is it something that you can still listen to? Can you can you separate the 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 you know the, the art from the artist and what you know the accusations around the artist. Can you still listen to Michael Jackson records?
3: Yeah, I can. And you know what it is? It's actually it's different because it weirdly doesn't involve that. What I can't separate is my own youthful connection to it, regardless of what I try and think about him or try and make sense of whether it's right or wrong to listen to it, whether it's affected my perception. The fact is. If I put on that album, there was a connection formed with it when I was, like, under 10 years old that's there. So whatever I think about it or like or don't like or any, or what anyone else thinks or doesn't like, that's, that's a reality. Yeah. I personally just accept that. Of course. That's pure and that's true. And as an eight-year-old, I was like, this is awesome and it made me want to dance. Yeah. All that is positive. So I hang on to that. I'm not sure if I was doing a DJ set, I would necessarily just bust out one of his tunes. If not that, that would have
2: been my next question. That would have been my next question. I've got a moment and it's on video. And, and for some reason, I've never, never put it on, on on the internet, but it was in Brighton. <laughs> and, uh, and we've got lots of mutual friends, Steve. And um, we was doing my club night that I was doing with, with um, the actor, Matthew Horne at the time.
3: And,
2: <laughs> and it was after the NME Awards. And uh, the Enemy tour, sorry, and I think uh, Maccabees headlined, Uh, and 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 Bombay Bicycle Club were on there, and the drums were there, and um, oh done Dominoes, what were they called? Um, Pink, Big Pink, Big Pink, and and they all turned up to party afterwards, and Hugo and Fee were DJing, and they dropped Dirty Diana, and I just thought this was before any accusations, and I remember just thinking that's a strange choice for a record at an indie night. And the whole place went insane. And I just videoed all of these super cool bands all just losing their shit to Dirty Diner on the dance floor. And it's just an amazingly beautiful video. But I just think, I don't know if I should share that now. It's like, it's a bit weird now. It's kind of a bit yeah, tainted. But but, uh, something,
3: which is like, despite everyone's little microcosmic differences in their musical taste, there uh, are some things, like we were saying about Bruce Springsteen, there's some things which are so unifying that everybody likes. Yeah. There's something about that. There's something about the fact that everyone can get into it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to lose. Whether or not he's done loads of horrific stuff, there's, that element of it is a positive element to it. And if it can make, make all those like hipster indie kids who spend all day trying to be cooler than you, hanging around, not dancing, that <laughs> one song can break that guard down, you know? And everyone would yeah. just be unguarded and have a laugh. That's a really cool thing.
2: Yeah. Okay. I, I do want
3: to see that, that video.
2: well answered mate well answered okay so whilst whilst talking clubbing um, for track 5 the song that soundtracked your years clubbing
3: so for me it was yeah so I first I moved to Brighton when I was 18 um, and started going out but the best club nights were the like um, like that late 90s early 2000s R&B stuff it was all like Destiny's Child Missy Elliott uh, Mary J Blige all those nights were really really fun so my one is Missy Elliott, get your Freak On. Everyone was oh, going record. berserk for that first move to Yeah. And still, even now, I'm like, if that came out tomorrow, everyone would be like, This is ahead of its time.
2: <laughs> That's so true. That's so true, isn't it? Like some, wow. some records sound like they're just they just just drop in from outer space and it's like, Whoa, hang on, that that you can't necessarily if you play if I played that to my daughters now they wouldn't go oh that's 20 years old yeah They'd just think no that way. was a, a brand new record and it's like yeah Our yeah it's an incredible record incredible record. so was you a clubber did you enjoy it
3: yeah 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 I got I moved to Brighton got into going out to clubs got into taking ecstasy um losing multiple nights in a row um now i'm saying that i'm starting to miss it from lockdown <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's the big thing here it's Brighton. it's not just so i mean there are a lot of like rock and indie and like folk and other but there's a huge dance and hip-hop scene here as well obviously it's just of all all flavors of music so it's, and it's everywhere and i think one of the things i like here is there's a lot of cross-pollination it's not that segmented between people's genre or style because it's so small i think this town everyone's just jammed you just end up like rolling with people who are into completely different stuff yeah so it's not you know it's not totally bonkers to end up at a hip-hop night with a couple of dudes from a metal band and a folk singer or you yeah. know just all hanging out and i really like them out here um and the club scene again is really it's very much geared towards just people having a really fun night um so it's very inclusive what would you want from a
2: nightclub? clubbing
3: what would I want just music to dance to big on dancing? He's the guy. And in fact, when I, as well, I first moved here, I ended up living with a guy who was like a real techno head. And at the time there were like free parties, which don't happen as much, or there were techno nights that would go, and I don't know if they were allowed to go that late or they just, no one stopped him. But there were ones where they'd be like donation only. So you could just put whatever you could afford in. So they'd go to like five, six in the morning, but they'd close the bar. I think they'd had to close the bar, but they could keep the music or something. So then you weren't even drinking or anything. You'd just be dancing and not talking yeah. to anyone for hours and hours in a trance. I really enjoyed that. Wonderful. Physicality, well, bit, I think. Yeah. Much like drumming, it's very physical. It's very, there's a catharsis to that. I think that's, music for me has always been quite a physical experience. I think that's part of it, dancing.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,
4: That's O-S-E-A, Malibu.com, code GLOW.
2: Well, I'm interested just to see where you're going to go for uh, the next one, because for track six, I ask for a favourite song from an artist from your home county. (laughs)
3: Where's home? Uh, Well, so my home county is Sussex. Um, So this is, I actually haven't written an answer for it, but um, I know it. But uh, I went on to prepare for this. And I was like, what if there's someone else from Sussex that I haven't thought of that's cool that I could come up with? I was, it's not. It's awful. It's like the feeling and like, it's all the like, uh, it's like Keen. It's like all the, all the stuff that as soon as I saw the names, I was like, that's so small town Sussex. It's like, <laughs> Sussex has made small town Sussex music except for one towering band above all the rest. Okay. The Cure. Of course. You're from Crawley down the road from where I Of course um so um so it has to be the cure boys don't cry um which yeah as someone that grew up very effeminate and wearing a lot of makeup and being treated as the weird kids that's pretty much an anthem for someone like me yeah with like maleness and the sort of inadequacy of typical maleness and dealing with emotions and Sung by a weird looking dude from a small town in Sussex. Wearing makeup. <laughs> Wearing makeup. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was that. Or what was the other one I found? It wasn't, there was the feeling and there was someone else. And I was like, oh my God. There's not, Sussex has been responsible for some horrors in music. Absolute horrors. Just, it's like all of the bands sound like Marks and Spencer's from what I found. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs>
2: Oh, brilliant! Yeah, I mean the the feeling. Literally, surely they've had a record on an M&S advert. They it must, must have done. It
3: must be. It's not got to be. It's
2: got to be me. <laughs> so, aside from the fact they're from your home county, you know, were, were, were the Cure a, a big band for you?
3: Actually, no. I came to the Cure much. I mean, they were around and people used to listen to them, and you know, I knew their stuff. I, ne- I never bought a Cure album. <clears> is how I look at it. Way, come way later in life my a much deeper appreciation for them actually um when i started to he- hear records that weren't love cats or you know the big hits um yeah for some reason growing up just didn't i didn't find them what i mean a lot of what i was listening to when i was growing up i liked i liked blur a lot but also i very quickly went backwards um And didn't listen to loads of contemporary stuff as a teenager. I got really into seventies punk, Um, and then once my dad the the, the UK stuff or the the Clash, Sex Pistols, the Damned, like, and then into all the other like (laughs) maybe slightly more questionable now stuff, even like the UK Subs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, And then once my dad saw that I was getting into it, he pulled out all his old punk seven inches from our attic and started giving me all those play. And then it just reinforced it. So I was a bit out of step. Like I say, I was just even hanging out with the weird kids. I was the weird one. Cause they were like, (laughs) have you heard green day? And I was like, yeah, have you heard bodies by the sex pistols? (laughs) Um, so yeah, I was listening to all that and hadn't, I don't think I'd got around to like the cure or any of that yet. Later. Mm. And they, and then like, Joy Division and Gang of Four and those of that sort of thing as I got, like, into my 20s.
2: Yeah. Okay. For track seven, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear?
3: Um, This one was easy as well because I've been obsessed. This is one song that, um, to take you back to streaming, which one of the good things about it, even though we get paid nothing, is... um, the Spotify algorithm has been very good at giving me new stuff that I would never have found that I've worn love Um, and this one, it, I think it's been about a year now. It just came up, um, for me. And I was like, what is this? It's amazing. And it's a singer. Um, she's from the Northeast England, but I think she lives in London. She's called Imogen. It's just Imogen in capital letters. She's got this song, I Wish I Were You. It's, it's really haunting. It's kind of jazzy, a little bit like Fiona Apple, maybe, something like that. But it's just got this like hard sort of moody, like synth-based drum groove. That from the minute it started, I was like, whoa, who's this? Um, and and no one's, I nobody knows it. No one's heard it. I went on before this to listen to it again. It had like 12,000 streams, which is criminal. Because yeah. it's absolutely phenomenal. I like, don't understand why everyone hasn't found it. I really don't. Well, we're, we're,
2: we're, we're definitely about to, to help a lot more people find it. Because um we do a Spotify playlist to accompany the, the podcast, Steve. So um people be able to go and listen Put to all the records that um that we've spoke about today. Um Steve, before we um wrap up, I just want to ask um even though we're going back into another lockdown, we we're gonna remain positive for the purposes of this podcast. Yeah. And 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 let's look towards twenty twenty one as being something far more um free and, and, and fun. Um and I wanna know what you're looking Forward to personally, and what you would like to do next year professionally.
3: <laughs> I mean, same the same again, and it continues. <laughs> <to you. laughs> Every musician says it. <laughs> I would really, really like to release the album that we have made that we're just sitting on, um, because it's crazy to release it when we can't tour. Uh, and so, I'd like to tour said record all over the world and do what I normally do and have been doing for about fifteen years. Um, and get a load of people in a room and make a lot of noise together. I really, I really would like to do that a lot.
2: <laughs> do you know what? I I would want nothing more than to be in that room listening to that glorious noise, Steve, because um, they, um, sorry, people okay. are desperate for it, aren't they?
3: Yeah. And I and I think I've definitely I I relatively, I feel like I've done quite well this year. I haven't lost my mind as much as some people I know and I've put a lot of energy into writing and making more music, um, but there's only so long that can last. I think part of what it's been this year, because I've basically been on tour for 12 years of my life. This year, there's almost been a novelty effect. It's like, oh, I'm at home.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> almost a little bit. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is different. But there's a, there's a finite amount of that I like, can handle. Yeah. Before I'm like, and it's really nice that I don't have tinnitus as bad anymore. You know. But now, oh, really. I- yeah, my my hearing's loads better. I actually, So I do production, and I'm increasingly doing it because I can do it this year on the side. And I actually did a thing that, this week where I listened to mixes. One of my friends was like, your mixing's got loads better. I listened to some mixes I did in the last sort of month compared to some I did this time last year. And I was like, that's stratospherically better quality. And then I realised, yeah, it's probably because I can hear now. That's mad, isn't it? Absolutely deaf from raging on my cymbals, just like, all day. Like, I haven't done that most of this year, so my hearing is probably massively improved and massively clearer.
2: (laughs) Excellent. Well, we enjoy that for this year and then go and ruin it again next year. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Uh, Steve, thanks so much for your time today, mate. Um, It's been lovely having a catch up and talking records. Thanks loads, ma'am. Pleasure. Wonderful! What a lovely lad. Um, had a really nice catch up with Steve there. I hope you got um, as much joy listening to that as I did uh, having the chat with Steve. Um, yep, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for for new records. Um, you know, hopefully in the new year from from Blood Red Shoes. He touched upon the the fact that they're sitting on an album ready to go. So uh, if you've never seen Blood Red Shoes live, then that's something to behold. Um, so go and ensure you do that as soon as it's safe to do so. I mean, I'm not telling you to go and watch them. I'm telling you the minute we can do it, just go and watch any gig. Go out there and just fill your ears with some live music and, and support the venues and support the bands and support the crew and all of them people that have probably had the worst year of, you know, financially. And I imagine, you know, mentally it's been a struggle for a hell of a lot of creatives. Um Okay, uh, as mentioned at the beginning, um, please give us a like, love, share, subscribe, retweet and all of that stuff because um, it all does help. And if you um, really want to help, then you can go over to the Patreon page and get access to about 200 radio shows and video episodes and, and all other sorts of stuff. And you can find out about all of that at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks loads, Steve, for giving up your time to come and chat. And I'll see you all next time. Be excellent to each other. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year and they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a a love of tattoos and alternative music and they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fair Wear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out. Because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk. Official sponsors of Off the Beaten Track Podcast. It's Off the Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network.
3: Keep me stew whipping. it.)